preaching and teaching on the subject of the Father seeks true worshipers. And we began with a foundational passage in John chapter 4 where we see the Lord Jesus Christ needing to pass through Samaria. And it's a classic text on worship because God is able to take idolatrous and broken people and transform them into worshipers. So if you think you're outside, if you think this morning you're outside of the grace of God, you've got another thing coming. Grace is greater than our sin. And just remember that she was a fornicator and an adulterer, and the Lord Jesus Christ transformed her soul and made her into a true worshiper. And she later would say, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And then we tackled the subject of the fact that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And then last week, we talked about singing and music as one aspect of worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I looked around this morning, I was checking on you, and you seem to do pretty well with the issue of singing. We discussed simple Bible facts about singing, then we addressed uh, the role of singing in our worship services, and we are purposefully and intentionally blended at this church. Our music is going to honor the Spirit's work in the past, and it's also going to honor the Spirit's work in the present. The most important thing about a song is not the date when it was written, but it's the content of the song. That is what is most important. Now, if we're going to worship, if we're going to worship in spirit and in truth, it means the Spirit of God Himself is necessary for true worship. We learned that, did we not? You must worship in spirit. And it does mean small s, human spirit. And it also means capital S, the spirit of God that uh, regenerates our spirit. Uh, you have to be born of God and able to worship the Lord. You have to be born of the spirit and able to worship. So we know that from the text of scripture that you've got to worship the Lord in spirit. But you also must worship the Lord in truth, if there is to be true worship, you have been given 66 books in your Bible. You have your copy of the Word, would you hold it up this morning? I know some of you are going to hold up your iPad, and that's okay. And you're going to see, uh, some of you are just anticipating that I'm going to put the Scripture up for you, and we'll do that. But that's the Word of God, 66 books. I want to remind you that that is the hub of all of worship. It's not our created antics. It's not our entertainment. It's not our performance. The hub of all of worship is found in the 66 books called the Bible. That is the hub of all of our worship. It's the Word of God and the Word of God alone that authoritatively guides us and leads us into this massive grand subject of worship. Now, there are two types of revelation given to us as men and women. Number one, there's natural revelation. And Romans 1 tells us that our God, through His invisible attributes, even receives His glory because He's created the world. So that's natural revelation. If, the, uh, the furthest, if away from here, as far as you could possibly get, the heathen in the remotest part of Africa, he or she can actually, through natural revelation, understand that the God of eternity exists. And they can do that because God created the world. That's natural revelation. But there's a more specific kind called specific revelation and or you've got general or natural and you have specific revelation. Well, the specific revelation 
is the Word of God. That's what you have been given. And whereas natural revelation can instruct you that there is a God to be worshipped, it is the Bible that tells us how our God is to be worshipped. Not only is the truth so important for understanding worship, but it also needs to be pervasive in our worship services. The Word of God has to be pervasive and and primary and central. If God is to be worshipped correctly, we must know the truth. So it's not enough just to say, yes, the, the Word of God is our hub, but what are we doing in the life of our church? Because it has to be the center of it. Your prayers must be anchored in the Word. Uh, What's the best prayers to pray? Not ones that you make up in your own imagination. The best way to pray is to pray the Word of God. And you can't pray His Word if you don't know His Word, right? So when I say that the truth must be pervasive, we think about praying. We think about our prayers being anchored in the Word of God. And of course, our songs must be anchored in the Word. But how about the preaching of the Word? It is the central event of all of worship, according to the Bible. It is the most important thing, so it must be centered on the Word of God. Now again, I'm going to take you to a classic text to teach you today about the Word. It is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Every Christian, according to this passage, is to be learning, continually learning, and living the Word of God. And everyone who preaches and teaches the Word is called to do so faithfully. So this morning we're going to do three things. We're going to talk and learn about what the Word of God is. And then we're going to discuss what the Word of God does. And lastly, we're going to talk about what we must do with the Word. Isn't that pretty simple? It's simple, but it might not be short. Amen? All right. Let me give you a quote from one of my professors, Dr. Daniel Block, regarding worship. Finest one I've ever seen. He was my Old Testament preacher, my doctoral work. And as a matter of fact, when he was at Southern, every preacher had to take his Old Testament worship class. And I say amen to that. Every pastor, preacher, ought to take a worship class, and they ought to all take it under Dr. Daniel Block. Here's what he said defines worship as reverential human acts of submission and homage before the sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accordance with his will. Do you see that word revelation? You see it? This is what it is right here. You have to worship him according to his revelation given to you about himself. And thus... It's in accordance with His will. I want to remind you that if it's not in His Word, it's not in His will. Amen? If it's not in His Word, it's not in His will. We know that for sure. So, with that understanding, let's tackle the first subject. What is the Word of God? What is it? What the Word of God is? The ESV is going to give us the reading today. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy And let's back up to verse 15 for our reading. If you'd like to stand, you can stretch one more time before we dive into it. But here's what the Holy Word of God says about itself. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, a pastoral epistle it would be called, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Y'all see that? See it in the text? And be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. To God be the glory. You may be seated. What the word of God is. Now note, the ESV clearly says that it is breathed out by God. Do y'all see that? It is breathed out by God. Some translations will use the word inspired, but breathed out is actually the best translation of that Greek word. All scripture is God-breathed. And we must stop at this point and say, when Paul was writing this to Timothy, you didn't have the canonized form of Matthew through Revelation. You only had the Old Testament. So when he says all Scripture, he is primarily referring to, at that moment, the Old Testament writings. But by extension, we know as well that all of the New Testament is also breathed out by God. So when we speak, we're breathing out and exhaling. How many of you have ever tried to talk while inhaling? Give it a try. That is pretty difficult. I sat in my office this week and thought about that. I'm glad nobody walked in when I was trying it. But... When you speak, air is forced out through your vocal cords and it forms words, but you're breathing out to do this. So when this statement says, uh, breathed out by God, it is literally that the word was breathed out by his spirit. The Bible is his very words. Did you know that the word in Hebrew and Greek, breathe, is actually the same word Hebrew and Greek for spirit. They're the same words. So God breathed out his words by his spirit through human authors. The text says all scripture. So the Bible is inspired, verbally inspired. That means that the very words are breathed out by God. It doesn't say that God breathed out a few concepts and a few ideas. Now get this right, folks, because this is the heart of me, because I'm a preacher. You need to understand something. We're not talking about concepts and ideas. We're not saying that the Bible contains God's Word. We're telling you that the Bible is the Word of God. And that is the testimony that it gives of itself. God breathed out the very words that fit into syntax, that make up a sentence, that make up a paragraph, that make up a chapter, that make up the entire book that you're reading. God did this. Everything is inspired, breathed out by God, down to the very words. There's another scholarly term that you may have come across, and you probably bumped right over it and thought, what does this mean? But there's a term called plenary inspiration. And what we mean by that is the full, complete giving of the words, the very words, and the totality of the words are breathed out by God. That attests to the fact that every word, every verb tense, every object of a preposition, every infinitive phrase is breathed out by God. In order for us to think about this a little deeper, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. And if uh, we can find that on the PowerPoint, that would be great. But if not, just listen to this. 
If you've got your Bible, please look at it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. God breathed through His Holy Spirit all the words, the very words, are inspired. Listen to chapter 1 of 2 Peter, beginning in verse 20. The Bible says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. We see some of the process going on here that the Bible is the product of the Spirit of God working through chosen vessels and instruments. It is of no private interpretation. Do you remember how God classified prophets in the Old Testament? He said, you'll know a true prophet because he'll speak my words, the words that I give him, but you'll also know a false prophet because he will run when he's not sent and he will speak of his own imagination. That sounds like some of the preachers I hear on TV occasionally. They haven't been sent by God. They might have been sent by their mama, but they weren't sent by God. And they're surely preaching something of their own imagination because they never open up the Bible. They never bring you to the text to preach the sermon. So how can they be preaching the word? Because they're not. They're false prophets. So a true prophet will be moved and carried along by the Spirit of God. We have a God-inspired book to preach here. This doesn't render human authors irrelevant. Sometimes God literally dictated what a prophet was supposed to say. If you look at the Old Testament, he would dictate it, and they would put it in exactly like he said for it to happen. But 90, uh, let's say 80% of the time, God actually did not disallow human personality and experience and mentality and writing styles. There's a tons of different writing styles. Say, for instance, between Luke, a physician, and Paul. There are tons of writing styles. And God used those men with all of their styles. And he took every word to make sure that it was his words that were written through their personality and through their writing style. It's an amazing thing. We have different authors We've got different genres, we've got different styles, yet the end product, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what God Almighty wanted the Word of God to be. And if it's His Word word, and it's breathed out, it ought to have some consequences to it, right? And what are the consequences? You're going to have to listen fast. Let me give you a few of these consequences. Well, first consequence number one, the Word of God is inerrant. If God breathed it out, then the Word of God is inerrant. And we know this. Why? Because our God cannot lie. David said this, God's word is exceedingly pure as silver, refined in the fire seven times. Psalm 33, 4, he says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his works are done in faithfulness. Jesus said, Sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth. It's without error in whatever it affirms. Now, folks, this doesn't mean that when the Bible speaks about scientific facts, that it's going to speak to every scientific fact in precision. Y'all know what I mean by that? Because the Bible uses phenomenological language. In other words, it says that you see the sun rising and setting. Now, we know that it's doing that because of the earth rotating on its axis, okay? But the Bible is not in error to say to you that the sun is rising and setting. Because it's using phenomenological language to explain what appearance looks like. Can I give an example? I may say to some of you, I'm 46 years of age. 
And some of you would say, you're lying like a dog. I know how old you are. You're actually 46 years and two months. And that would be precision. But folks, I'm still 46 years old, right? Yes, I am. So in the Word of God, it may not speak with precision on every scientific issue, but everything it speaks to scientifically is going to be without error. You can take that to the bank. Everybody's tried to prove it wrong and never has one time proved it wrong. It is without error. Here's the second thing. God's Word is infallible. That means it's trustworthy and reliable, and it cannot lead you astray. Isn't that good to know that God breathed it out? It has no error. It cannot lead you astray. John Frame says, inerrant means that the text has no errors, and infallible means that it is impossible for that text to err. Two different things, true of God's word, inerrant, infallible. How about this? It's authoritative. Wayne Grudem says that the authority of Scripture means that the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or to disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve and disobey God. You understand that? Because some of us think, I don't know why, but some of us think that we can actually disobey the written word and still obey God. I mean, you do realize that that's an impossibility. Uh, it is impossible. It's a fundamental. It's, we cannot make a fundamental distinction between a person and their words. And that's how a lot of Baptists live. We, we've made a God out of our own imagination. Not according to the Bible, because I'm, I'm going to tell you, as a society today, we're pretty much biblically illiterate. We don't, I don't hear any amens, but we don't know the Word. Amen. We don't know the Word like we knew the Word 25 years ago. And so people have begun to live their life on their own premises of what they think is best for them. You, you're actually living your life above the Word, not under it. That's how you live your life. In so many, and, and I'm guilty. Okay, Point the fingers back this way. We're all guilty. But listen, when God speaks, folks, there's no higher authority. And I'm telling you, folks, God doesn't have anything else to say than is in this book. This is it. He doesn't have anything else to say to you. There's no new revelation. That's where cults and mystical groups and all these go, go wrong because all Scripture is given by God. It's breathed out. And this is it. There's no dream that's God, that God is going to give you that is contrary to this book. If you have a dream that's contrary to this book... You ate something really bad the night before. Got it? You did. Because this is the Word of God. And you've got to understand something. There's no higher authority. Can we make a distinction between the giver of the Word and the Word? No, you can't. That would be like me telling my boys, all right, boys, take the trash out. And I come back an hour later and the trash is still sitting there. And I say, I told you to take the trash out. You didn't obey me. Well, Dad... We obeyed you, we just didn't obey your words. Knucklehead, bonehead, that is a distinction without a difference, right? Because my words hook to my persona and my person, okay? The same is true with our God. Now get this, folks. you got to understand it. To disbelieve the Bible and to disobey the Bible is to disobey and disbelieve God. His word and his person are inextricably bound together. And hear this. This is, 
I'm telling you, folks, this is worth something, okay? This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you about living the Christian life today that's so vitally important. God's entire lordship over your life through the person and work of Jesus Christ is mediated through this book. Every part of the lordship of Jesus over your life is mediated through this book. It's not mediated through the next experience that you're looking for or the next church growth book or the next how-to-do church book. It's mediated in your life. His lordship over you is mediated through his word. So it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's authoritative. Here's the fourth thing. It's sufficient. God's word is sufficient. It's, it's sufficient according to 1 Peter and 2 Peter for all that pertains to life and godliness. Isn't that an encouragement? In a day when we're all looking for the next big kick, the Bible tells us that he's given all that pertains to life and godliness in this book to you. That's good news. It's holy sufficient. John Frame again says, Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. So let's, let's do a summary. We have 66 books. They're all breathed out by God. And because they're breathed out by God, they're inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and wholly sufficient for everything pertaining to life and godliness. Have you ever stopped to breathe long enough to say, God, thank you for the Word. Thank you for the Bible. It is so precious. I could have given this to you alliterated. It's precious, it's powerful, it's perfect, and it's profitable. But look, just think about the, the preciousness of it. Because Paul is saying to Timothy, that young preacher boy, Continue in what you've learned and heard. You learned it from Eunice and Lois, your, grandmom and your, your grandmother and, grand, and mother. And keep on with that. Why? Because it is a precious book. Is there any book that has ever been given to man that can hold up to this? Absolutely not. Thank God for His Word. Now, that's what the Word of God is. And I know I could end the sermon there, but I'm not. Here's the second point. What the Word of God does. And the text says... That it is profitable. You, you might insert the word valuable. What it is, and here's the second thing, what does the Word of God do? Well, first, it is profitable for teaching. And what does that mean? It's teaching or doctrine. And in other words, it's the substance of what we believe as Christ's followers. It's giving to us in the Word of God. The content in this book given to us in the Bible is the way that we ought to live and think. And believe. It is the teaching of God's Word. And God breathed out the Scriptures to make them valuable to teach us what we need to know about God, what we need to know about ourselves, and what we're supposed to do for the King, how we're supposed to live, what is required of us. When you think about the Word of God, what it does, please hear me, it is profitable to instruct you and me to teach us to give us understanding to what we are supposed to believe. Thus, let me go back again and say to you, that's why our culture, even people who claim to be Christians, a large percentage of them don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, and a larger percentage of them do not believe that it's applicable to live in life with. And yet the Bible says, God breathed it out, it's inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient, and He did all that and gave you this book so that He could teach you how to live. It's the teaching of the Word. Now consider this for a moment. Some of you, your ears start spinning around backwards and you start going into convulsions if someone says that you ought to believe doctrine. Well, it's a statement of ignorance on your behalf to think that doctrine's not important. Folks, what you believe about God has everything to do with who you are. 
And it's very, very important that you know what to believe. And I know that God has sent me to this church to help you understand that, right? To what you're supposed to believe, but I can't give it all to you. As a matter of fact, you need to get into the book and let the Word of God teach you what the Scripture says. Help you know how to believe and how to think. And if you say, well, I don't care about theology. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to break this to you, but that's a statement of ignorance. It is important what you believe. So teaching, it's also profitable for reproof. You know, some of us could take the teaching part, couldn't we? But when it starts meddling, that's a different story. Right? I mean, just it's okay to teach, but don't reprove us. Well, the Word of God convicts, doesn't it? It rebukes us. The Word of God, when, as you live your life as a believer, you're going to note something, and you nod your head if I'm not telling you the truth. You know it. There are times in your life where the truth of the Word of God and your life is on a head-on collision course in the intersection of life. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. You ever had this happen in your life? I don't even, I, even if I lay my head on my pillow at night, that's on my mind. I can't go for days and weeks with a check in my spirit that something's not right and just dismiss it as nothing. What is it? It's the convicting. It's the reproving of the Word. So that collision course in the intersection of life with the Word, it could be about some wrong thinking that you're having. It could be about a wrong doctrinal conviction that you have. It could be that there's some sin in your life that has become habitual and it's a stronghold. And, and the Word of God is convicting you in that area. And I hope you understand how important and what a benefit reproof is to us. You're fallen just like me. You are sinful just like me. You're a finite creature. And the God of the Bible who breathed it out for our instruction is a God who knows us from our radiator to our tailpipes. Doesn't he? He knows every single thing about you. Now get this. You ought to welcome his reproof in your life. You know, he could just leave me to my own self-deceived little world. So what I want to tell you tonight, today is, is if you get reproof, it is called grace. God could have left you like you were, but He didn't. His grace extends to you. And when He reproves your life, it is grace. Some of you are saying, well, how do I know if I'm receiving the reproof? Let me just give you one example. If you're willing to sit under the ministry of true preaching of the Word of God, then I would say to you that you're probably a true man or woman of God. If you're saved and you're willing to sit under the true preaching of the Word of God, I would classify you as a true man or woman of God. But if you're unwilling to sit under the Word when it is preached uncompromisingly, uh, straight from the Word, if you're not willing to hear the reproof of God's Word, and you'd rather go find you another doctor, then I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. You're not a true man or woman of God. Period. Because what God calls you to do is sit under His Word. I don't have to be the one preaching it either. And if you're not a member of this church, you need to go somewhere where the Word of God is preached. It doesn't have to be here. But you better be under the Word of God if you're a Christian. And you need to hear the Word and let it reprove your life. Let it convict your life because God has given you grace. You ought to say, Lord, execute any traitorous lust that's in my heart. God, open my breast to the sword and let it smite my sin. When's the last time you asked God to work that way? Well, if we did, our altars would be full. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 that the Word of God is living and sharper and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what that means? There's no safe place on the sword. 
You can't hide. You can't even seek refuge inside. It's going to get you. It's sharp. It cuts both ways. And you need to welcome it into your life. I could keep on preaching, but it's profitable, thirdly, for correction. In other words, when God points out the wrong, it's the ways of our God to direct you in the right way. So he points out with reproof, and then he gives you correction. And this is absolutely necessary for growing in our spiritual walk, right? It's one thing for God to correct the wrong, but it's another thing for Him to lead you in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. And that's what He does. When this word was used extra-biblically in the Greek language, it carried the connotation of the fact that you're in, by education, you're improving the quality of someone's life. Folks, you can't be any more improved than having the Word put into you. Amen? Having the Word of God, a light into your path, a lamp into your feet that God gives you to guide you. And we're people that are prone to self-deception, aren't we? And we'd rather submit to our own desires than to God's desires. I want to give you a secret. Living the Christian life is about submission. You submit to God under the Word. You allow Him to correct your life. We all desperately need God to speak to us in this regard. And we can be so arrogant that we think we sit above the Word of God. And you say, well, you know what, preacher? I'm an exception. A good Hebrew word for your exception is this one. Baloney. Right? No one sits above the Word of God. I don't care if you're 85 or 95 or 105. That's still the Word of God. And you're still called by God to obey it. Right? It is authoritative. It, it corrects your life. Here's the fourth thing. Training in righteousness. And the idea is education through discipline. And we say, oh, we don't like that. We don't like to hear the discipline part. Well, the Bible teaches us how we should live. It teaches you how to be a good husband, men. It teaches you how to be a good father, doesn't it? Ladies, it teaches you how to be a good wife and how to be a good mother. It teaches you, since we're on Labor Day, how to be a good employee. But that's not enough. It also teaches you how to be a good employer, right? We learn that from the Word of God. There are many Christians in our day that love the indicatives of the Word, but they don't like the imperatives. Right? There's a lot of you TV hair dudes, I call them, that love to preach the indicatives. God has done so much for us and blessed us in so many ways. He wants to bless you more. Just send in your money to me and I'll give you more blessings. Right? Well, the indicatives in the Word are important. Okay? Because God has blessed us. Just look at the cross. Amen? We think about the indicatives, but I'm telling you folks, there's some imperatives in the Word too. And the imperatives teach us how to live. They train us and they instruct us in how we honor our God. So you need to be a man or woman of the indicatives, praise God for them, but also the imperatives. God, you're expecting me to live in a certain way. Here's the fifth thing. It is profitable to equip us. Listen to this. That the man of God may be competent and equipped. So it's profitable to equip us. Now, the word means to completely outfit something, like a wagon or a vessel. Uh, I thought about this as I grabbed my compound bow yesterday and went outside and got on my deck, and I was shooting some arrows anticipating September 15th. And my, my bow has to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And you know what I noticed? One of my children had gotten my release. I can't shoot with fingers. Anymore. So if I was up in a tree and my release was gone, I'm in trouble. I'm just going to wave at them as they go by, right? <laughs> but look, with that bow, I mean, that's high-tech stuff nowadays. 
You've got a peep sight on your string. You've got a sight out there. You've got a stabilizer on the end. Are you getting the deal? The thing has to be equipped. And I want it to work, right, when I pull the trigger. I don't want my sight bracket being or anything. Well, when it comes to this word, that's what it means. It means that that wagon or that vessel or that bow will be equipped in such a way that it's capable of performing the service that it's expected to perform. God has a work for you to do, folks. And you can't do it apart from his word. And sometimes we sit in church and we're spectators and we never serve a day in our life and we're thinking, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? Well, you're not connecting with the master. You're not connecting with his word. So you're not, you don't have that compulsion to serve because you're not in the word. But I'm telling you, it is the word of God that equips you for every good work. Is every good work important? You're created unto good works. You do know that. Baptist love. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Yay! But we don't like verse 10. You are his workmanship, created by Christ Jesus unto good works. That God foreordained before the world was ever created. That you should walk in them. So think about this. What is the Bible? It's the Word of God. Breathed out by Him, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, holy, sufficient. What does it do? Think about this. I'm going to break it down. It teaches you what to believe. It teaches you how to think. It points out the things in your life that are displeasing to God. It shows you the right way you should live. It disciplines you in the paths of righteousness. It equips you to be all that God actually calls you to do and be. It's no accident that Jesus, the master teacher, quoted from Deuteronomy 8 when He said... You shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's what it is. That's what it does. What are we supposed to do with it? Chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. And you know I'm a preacher, so I like that, right? But that's what it says. What do we do? We preach the Word. You have to appreciate this. In light of the chapter when Paul says this to Timothy. Will you all allow me to do something today? Let me read to you what this, succinctly what this chapter is saying to you out of the NLT. And then hopefully you will see how important it is for us today to be preachers of the Word. Pray to God that he would raise up men that would be faithful to preach, thus saith the Lord. Pray that God will raise up preachers out of this church that will be faithful, faithful to exposit the word and preach it. Listen to the NLT. Listen close. You should always know this, Timothy. This is Paul writing. That in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. I've tried to get under your pew. Go ahead. You can fit. Right? For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedience to their parents. Right? And ungrateful. Does that sound like our country or what? Yes, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. In other words, these people that are playing church, that have all the forms of religion, are lost. 
They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That means it hasn't changed them from the inside out. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. You must stay away from people like that. Woo! They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by many desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they never understand the truth. And these teachers fight the truth just like Janus and Jambres fought against Moses. Verse 10, but you know what I teach you, Timothy, and you know how I live, and you know what my purpose is in life. You know my faith and how long I've suffered. You know my love and my patience and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering that I've endured. Now listen to this. Jump down. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will go on deceiving others, and they themselves will be deceived. But then Paul turns right around and says, but you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. Y'all hearing this? you got to be faithful. You know the truth, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been given, listen to this, the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have been given to you through the wisdom of God. They've, you've received them by trusting Christ. And then he says, all scripture is inspired by God, useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. It teaches us what to do. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipping us. And so I solemnly urge you before God, listen to this, and before Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word. Be persistent. Listen to this. Whether whether the time is favorable or not. A lot of preachers do this. They lick their fingers, stick it up in the air. And they're going to preach according to the winds of culture. You know why? So they can draw a crowd. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you like it is. I'm not trying to draw a crowd. Are you all listening? I'm going to preach this book. You know why? Because I'm going to stand before the king on that day. And I'm going to give an account for everything I've said. He's the judge. And God has told me to preach this book. And I'm going to preach the book. Amen? That's what we have to do is preach the Word. Listen to this. They will follow their own desires. Listen to this. Verse 3. For a time is coming. Chapter 4, verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching. Folks, the time is here. They will no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They will reject the truth and follow strange myths. And listen to this injunction. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid to suffer for the Lord. Work at bringing others to Jesus and complete the ministry that God has given you to complete. To God be the glory. Look, the times wasn't favorable when Timothy was preaching. They're not favorable when I'm preaching. But I'm telling you, what are we supposed to do with the word? We are supposed to preach it. In a, day, in a day when we are so filled with preachers who preach for the applause of man, may God raise up preachers who preach for the applause of God. Right? As God told Jeremiah, the prophet who has only a dream better recount his dream. But the one who has my word ought to speak it truthfully to the men. So, what is it to worship in spirit and in truth? We gather together to lift up our voices to our God. And in so doing, we're speaking to Him. We gather together to pray and speak to our God. We give Him praise and adoration. We give Him thankfulness. We're speaking to God in those. Praying and singing. But I want to tell you something, folks. There's another aspect of worship. In the preaching of the Word, God is speaking to you. 
we gather. And you know what? Unfortunately, in our world today, we care more about what we're saying to God than what He says to us. But as you gather here corporately, in the years to come, you're gathering here to sing songs and praise and adoration to God. You're speaking to Him through your lips. And I want to remind you, there's no way possible that through your lips you can ever adequately express your gratitude for a God who drew you unto Himself without you asking Him to do it. He loved you enough to save your soul. And there's no song that adequately expresses that. And then we lift our voices and we pray to our God. But when I open up this book and I read the Bible, God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. So we need to come here ready to receive, ready to hear. No matter what book I preach out of, no matter what passage I open it up to, God is speaking to you from His Word. So what I want to leave you with is this. Preaching is an act of worship. But also, receiving the Word is an act of worship. And evaluating that, here's the question. How are you doing in receiving it? Are you saying, God, what does it do? Well, it, it, it is profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, for all these things. God, help, help me sit under your Word. And God, I want you to perfect these things. Do these things in me. Why? So that I will be outfitted just like that boat for rescue or outfitted just like that boat and era outfitted for the service that you've called me to do in this church God has ordained that you do that through his word amen we have a precious gift in this book this is my bible its doctrines are holy its precepts are binding its historics are true and its decisions are changeless you are to hold it as something precious in your life. You ought to hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. It's the word of God. I used to love the song, the B-I-B-L-E. When I was a little kid, I don't know what I said with those letters, but you don't know what your kids are saying either when they're real little. But that's the book for me. Y'all don't even know that song, do you? The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me? Yeah, some of you do. All right, let's pray. Amen. Amen, that's exactly right. Father, I hope you hear those words from your people because, Lord, that phrase, it's the book for me. God, it, as you look across our land of people who profess to know you, Lord, the scarcity of the word is frightening. Lord, we must all confess that our country is probably in the shape it's in because your people have gone away from the word. Not lost people. We can't expect lost people to live like saved people. They're lost. But what's hurt our society is the 20th century church of Laodicea where we knew the truth, we've not upheld it, we've not lived the truth. We've just allowed ourselves to be acculturated instead of being the light that we ought to be. God forgive us. We never want to be mean-spirited. We want to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us with meekness, with charity. But God, help us stand for your word. And Lord, help us to know your word so that we can be equipped, so that we can learn, so that we can walk in your ways. God, may we all. Lord, seasons of commitment are great. And maybe today, church-wide, we need to make a commitment to your book, the Bible. Just start off individually convicting us, Father, of the need to be in your word more. God, help us to not think we can live above your word, but to live under it. To, to obey and believe your word is to obey and believe you. To disobey your word and disbelieve 
is to disbelieve and disobey you. God, help us know that. And we want to be found faithful, Father. If there's someone under the sound of my voice that's lost, Father, we know that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word. You can't even be saved apart from the Word of God. You can't have faith apart from the Word opening up the heart. Father, now may you do your perfect work in someone's heart. Only you can save. Lord, I pray that you would touch a heart. I pray they would turn from sin and self. And I pray they would trust Jesus and his righteousness and sacrifice on their behalf for their salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.